This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, Innovations in Enrollment Management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com. Welcome, everybody, uh, to Enrollment Resources uh, podcast today. We're going to talk about uh, how to create a systemization of admissions processes uh, by way of uh, lean management. Now, this is a bit of an obscure topic, but given the regulatory environment that's coming down the pike and given um, all of the changes in terms of how millennials purchase uh, services versus how it's done previously, this is a very important topic. So we won't spend a long time. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to get go from kind of broad to granular, and um, if any of you have any questions along the way, just press star six and chime in, and we'll be happy to answer them. Also, if you have any questions you want to write down, Lauren can grab those and field those at the end. And uh, I see this going maximum 30 minutes. So let's just jump in. I'd like to um, introduce Jim Paris. Jim is... Uh, been in the uh, admissions management game for uh, well over 20 years uh, and um, as a senior VP admissions level and he's based uh, in the Northeast and I'd like to introduce uh, Joe, uh, Joe Gerard and Joe is with Enrollment Resources and he leads our admissions retainer program here and uh, prior to joining us Joe was a process improvement expert for admissions with a chain of, uh, it was 10, a, a school system of 10, and so both these guys have a lot of insight in terms of what works in the trenches, combined with, you know, all of our split testing that we've done over the last 12 years. So, without further ado, let's get rolling here. So, you guys, it appears that this uh, third-party lead portal marketing experiment has failed. It doesn't seem to be working that well anymore. Um, so now, Jim, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, no, I mean, you know, certainly looking at, at processes and procedures and, and, and controllables, I mean, we know it's difficult to, to, to make contacts and to, and to get a hold of people and to have uh, the opportunity to have a quality conversation and, and uh, obviously the, the, the lead flow and, and, and the sources where they're coming from has shifted dramatically to almost solely you know whether it's uh, the referral end or or uh, you know the paid search engine, but um, I guess my my two cents on on the next step there, is, which is to measure the, the the contact and to have an idea of how many quality conversations, whether you're an admissions rep or a director of admissions, and um, what your team is doing, but try to get your arms around that number um, as as part of the funnel conversation. How many uh, quality contacts are being done? And, and on average, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, as an admissions rep, 25, 30 quality exchanges, whether it's email or over the telephone, that are unenrolled students. Uh, from that spinoff, um, certainly having um, the opportunity to, to, to set an appointment and, and obviously to the goal getting to my campus. So. Yeah, exactly. So it really is a flight to quality. You know, our, our friends at Velocify, they had come out with some recent new research, which is quite, uh, um, I don't know, it's counterintuitive to what seemed to be the sacred cows in the industry, and that is that the um, 
it's actually more cost-effective to give an admissions rep one or two uh, leads a day versus five. So back in the day, the the marketing lead gen paradigm was fill the reps up with you know five internet leads a day, let them convert one or two percent of those, and basically burn the rep out, dial to your fingers bleed that kind of thing and. This new research is indicating that, you know, if you have one lead a day that is of higher quality, that admissions reps can convert that, you know, 30, 35%. And and if you run the math, the numbers almost wash out to be the same. Joe, any thoughts on that, Joe? Yeah, I mean, what, what I've been seeing is that it's exactly what Jim is saying. Is it's the quality conversations uh, that we're having, rather than just you know volume. And and with reps that are going through just a ton of volume, and they're waiting for that quality conversation to happen, it almost becomes like a, a surprise to them when somebody that they talk to is, is has a more meaningful conversation, and they're not prepared to have that dialogue with them. And so that's what we're finding more and more is to find if they can just get the right amount of leads, like you said, maybe two or three um, a day that they can have meaningful conversations with, that's going to, as a leading indicator, drive those, those, those trailing indicators, which is the customers and the revenue. And trailing indicators are always really good for a healthy school, aren't they? So, mm-hmm. the, um, so, so then that, now that runs to the other end of the, the pendulum, and that is you go from just churning out a whole bunch of crazy leads and people thrashing away to having the high quality uh, conversation, but without having any kind of a a process or an ability to split test those processes, um, it 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 really um, is guesswork. And so the piece that has to fit in the middle, the meat in the sandwich, is that of process improvement. And uh, if I may, you guys, I'd like to just give a, a background as to what process improvement is all all about and and then let's talk about how that relates to admissions and admissions management so back after the second world war um, the allies created for europe something called the marshall plan and they went and basically put germany back on its feet economically um, but in japan not so much and they but they did send this uh... what they deemed to be this crazy economist, this guy named Edward Deming, um, whose ideas about choke, choke point management were not gaining any traction at all in the U.S. So they sent him off to Japan and said, hey, go try your theories with Japan. They're in need of having their economy rebuilt. So back in the day, there were these, you know, these little Japanese companies like Toyota and Nissan and Mitsubishi um, and these little tiny manufacturing companies that embraced this um, Dr. Deming's uh, words on choke point theory, and out of that came um, uh, lean management. Um, and so what we've done is we've taken lean management, something that's used by Toyota, Apple, Microsoft, some of the best companies in the world are constantly using lean management to make these tiny little quarter turns to go and and take all of these great conversations and all this activity and methodically make it better. So 
That's the basis for lean management. And so, Joe, how can that fit into an admissions environment? It seems because it's like lean management's been traditionally used in manufacturing, and admissions is about as far away from manufacturing as you would get. <laughs> well, yes and no. Um, when we when we apply um, the Deming's uh, theory to to admissions and into the sales process, uh, what we end up seeing is that, it, like when I, I map it out on a graph is that most processes are, are typically out of control. That's why I say, like, on the admission side, one month you're the hero, the next month you're the goat. The goal is not to have these big wins and these big losses, but to bring everything into control, which is essentially what the manufacturing um, economy did. And so by doing that, he's reducing the amount of variation of the things that we're doing, and we're finding those choke points and the bottlenecks. And typically, as we do evaluations, it's happening at this first point of contact. So we're trying to do all of this other stuff on the marketing and on the, you know, to student retention and how we're presenting our products, but it's all boiling down to this first point of contact and having, like Jim said, these meaningful conversations. So if we apply those theories to admissions, that's what we're looking for is where are those bottlenecks? Where's that choke point? And how do we effectively address that, which then drives the whole machine? So if we were a manufacturing company, this would drive, it would drop down our, our cost per, per item and it would actually be able to help produce more, um, more results with less time. Right. So an analogy that comes to mind is, um, you know, a guy has a big distended belly. He's got a yeast infection, you know, because he's just eating too much in the way of wheat and simple sugars. And by way of doing food testing and taking different foods out of your diet, that person with the yeast infection will eventually land on things that will improve their condition and uh, less bloating, and their tummy will shrink. Jim, is that a, a decent analogy? or? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I got a nice visual. You know, um, okay. you talk about, talk about a choke point. I mean, it's, it's, that is really what Joe was just, uh, just touched on, that whole contact. That first initial contact um, has how many and what they're like and what that conversation uh, needs to go um, to proceed with is has changed dramatically. I know I'm preaching to the choir for the people on the call who's, who who are living it over the last few years. But you know, if if you're if if you're go, we do all this work right from the marketing end, spend all these dollars and chasing down and making all these attempts, and then once you know, once we were lucky enough to get that exchange, that quality exchange, if we're sitting back saying those are all great questions. You know, how much does school cost? Great question. I'll let you know when you come down to see us. Or what's the school like? A oh, great question. I'll let you know when you come down to see us. What's the placement uh, like and the services like? That's a great question. You know, we keep holding them blackmail on the visit. Um, you know, that's, and you're probably seeing your show rate, right, another choke point. And what you do with the contact, and then they're disagreeing for the appointment, and some of them aren't, aren't showing up. Um, that conversation and the ability to balance information, right, you're asking questions, but you got to give up some information. They're, they're informed. So in some cases, they know more about your school than you do. You know, be well, well just if I could just jump in, Joe, you, you know, you were just uh, mentioning in a chat we had earlier today about millennials who are, we're primarily marketing to in education are, are really, um, you know, two-thirds of the way there and before they even pick up the phone. You, you care to expand on that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just like Jim was saying, you know, they're they're more informed than ever. Uh, the, one of the stats that came out, not just in education, but in general, is that with information that's out there, is customers are 60% of the way through the buying process. And when I ask reps, most of them will agree to that. But at the same time, 
is when we actually review how many of your potential students are really well informed when they call you, we're agreeing that's probably only about 5 to 10%. So we have this disconnect between how much information they have and how much knowledge they have on what they're doing. So if we're just brokers of information on the phone, and, and like I was saying earlier, is I listen to mystery shops all the time for schools all over the place, and it's very rare that we hear people that knock it out of the park, that ask great questions, that qualify deeply, that be able to make a connection and not just you know jump in to say what they want to say about their product and, and service, and then they wonder why people aren't showing And it's really interesting to me because what happens, people, um, um, how do I say this? Well, okay, somebody's thinking about education, so now they're on websites. And we know that a lot of websites are written in such a way that it's full of ad puffery. In other words, these um, websites, to varying degrees, lie. But they... um, People take them, uh, take these websites uh, at gospel, at face value, and then they're into Yelp and they're reading Yelp reviews and Google Plus reviews, and they take that information at, at, at face value. They don't know who wrote that information. It could have been planted by the school, or it could have been planted by a competitor to bring down a competitor. There's all kinds of nasty undercurrent social media activity that happens. It's quite mean and predatory that happens online um there are there are, the, these folks are gathering information and while they may be 60 percent of the way there what's interesting is a lot of the information is inaccurate and admissions reps have this unenviable task of having to deconstruct what they know help them eliminate what is incorrect and fill up fill back in what is um correct and valuable information for them to help them in their decision. Jim, do you want to uh, speak to that, like deconstructing incorrect information? Yeah, you know, you're right. They are informed, and some of it's not completely accurate, right? They're getting their circle of friends and and certainly um, past people who've gone to your your campuses and and some are happy, some weren't. Um, The the website and some some of the the marketing material and... um, so, so you really need to ask some good probing questions up front when you do have that contact to have some playback and have some understanding so you're making sure you've got a level, a level playing field and you're addressing really what, what the needs are and what, and what they're looking for and what they have in their head, their preconceived notions, all that. needs There needs to be some just fundamental admissions work. We, we still need to, to, to get back to just asking a few good solid questions, get, get permission to do so, but you need to go there. And then, and then, you know, once that happens, then you can start to build up, obviously, some of the feature benefits and, and the things that the college does. But um, that coupled with you being the pro, we really need, the, the, our admissions teams need to go to another level with knowledge, with insight, with, with program information, with industry outlooks, with career outlooks. We need to be the pros. Um, wherever we are, we need to get the next rung on that ladder to be the go-to, where they hang up the phone and they say, not that some person wants me to come down to see them at the campus, that I want to go see this guy, Joe, because he, he said he, he, he's going to hook me up with the career services person who worked with a, an employer who was telling them how this industry is going to have openings in the next year locally around our campus in the next two years, you know, information so- like that. 
so along those lines, that having people sitting as professionals in admissions, there has to be a structure because you can't just have this as a, as sort of a chaotic exchange. So to that end, there really is, folks on the call, a, uh, a little five-step communication uh, process that you might want to write down and we're going to take you through it, um, Joe and I, and uh, we're, we're just going to um, teach you a little something that you could take away from this call. Um, so here are the five steps. You guys write this down or type it out. Step one is to set the agenda. Step two is to deeply understand the prospective person on the phone. Step three is to, um, to be understood. And then step four is to share the learning of the conversation and then step five is to take your your little baby steps and so um let's talk about setting the agenda first um folks have a um uh, an inherent belief that admissions people uh, are liars and that's because they have this deep and inherent sales prejudice that uh because people have been screwed over so many times, whether it's buying a car, a computer, insurance, what have you, or friends. So people go in guarded and cynical. And so you have to eliminate that sales prejudice. So the way you do that in 20 seconds or less is you just set the agenda. You tell people what you're going to do to them in, in a, on a phone call or in a meeting. You tell them the worst thing that's going to happen to them. You gain permission from them that that's an okay process, and then you proceed. So, Joe, in fact, that's kind of like the first sale, isn't it, to negotiate the process? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then the next piece is to understand people. Now, Joe, you've got some really interesting um, insights around this. It's really about um, it's about qualifying people to a degree that folks are probably not comfortable doing. And so um, admissions people are, are typically kind of, when they get nervous or tired, they default to a presentation mode. But what we advocate for is staying in that question for as long as humanly possible to, to allow us to customize their life journey. Why don't you deepen in on that uh, that comment, if you if you would? Sure. There was um, I had a call last week with a group because I went um, visited my family and I went golfing. I took my 14 year old nephew golfing, and I had a huge light bulb for myself. Is um, he hit his ball over by this other group of guys, and I said to him, "Go over there and ask those guys if it's okay for you to hit your ball." And he looked at me like I had just asked him to jump off a bridge, and he was terrified. And so I said, well, just go over and just say, hey, can I go hit my ball uh, and then just come go hit your ball and come back. And he wouldn't move. Uh, he was frozen. So I just said, hey, guys, it's okay. He hits his ball. And they said, yeah, no problem. So he went over there, hit the ball, and then came sprinting back as fast as a 14-year-old could ever run. And it was that moment that I realized that, you know, for me, what may seem simple for me to do might be absolutely terrifying for somebody else. It might be really uncomfortable for somebody else. And so on our phone calls, we have to determine the level of comfort that people have. Um, a lot of students, when they call in for the first time, this is a very scary thing for them. A lot of people, this is their, they're asking for help. They're asking for change. And if we just get into presentation mode, we miss an opportunity to be empathetic with them. And if we don't ask the right questions, we don't help them frame the problem correctly, and we're just one more source of information. So 
what's going to make them um, feel value in coming to see us. So our ability to connect with people on the phone is the number one skill. When, when reps start to develop that really, really well to build relationships at first point of contact, their numbers go through the roof. People are more now, willing the, to... Now, if I may just jump... Step. If I can jump in, so the, the key really to creating that that um, that connection is to really uh, understand the other person on the other side of the phone, um, to really understand what makes their heart beat, what makes their soul stir, and um, and and the bonus is is that people love to be in control, they love to be right, they love to be acknowledged. And any time that you can spend some extra effort um, to ask people about their hopes, their dreams, their career path, some really juicy, gooey, high-quality questions, they feel fantastic. And, you know, if they feel fantastic, those six or seven other schools that they're considering working with they just shut that down because they're getting love. They're getting love from that admissions rep in the way of this nurturing, caring person who is really curious about learning about who they are. Does that sound a little kind of sappy or what? No? No. <laughs> I, mean, I know you're not asking me, Greg, but that's exactly um, some empathy. And, they, and for them to feel that they don't have a horn on their head, that you acknowledge their position and what they've shared, you thank them for their for them being so candid, and that you know what you're not alone. There's many people that have situations like that, and and this is what we do here, and this is how this works, and and you use their name. You know those feel good moments are are huge. I mean we've tracked, and, and I'm sure your your campuses are out there have tracked. You know from the lead entry the, the date when they first reached out and how long. You know some call set the appointment, come in that day and enroll all in one day. Some take a couple days. Some take a week. Some take a month. I mean, we've seen that if, if the, the reps who keep that good, positive contact, and there's legitimate reasons why they can't make a decision this term, this quarter, or whenever your your start is, if, if you keep that door open for a callback, um, they do enroll. I mean, some campuses are getting 30% that are six months or older, 30% of their enrollment. So then, the really, the key, so the key is here is that is is empathy is the is the juice that that runs through the admissions reps' veins, the the best ones, and that questions are the the tools that the admissions reps use to to make that garden grow and to enhance the lives. I mean, what's cool is whether somebody goes to school with you or not or decides to go to school, period, if an admissions rep does the job properly by asking those juicy, gooey, uh, wonderful questions, you they leave the office of the admissions rep with more clarity around where they're heading in their life. And what a gift that is for somebody. Hey, Joe? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so by understanding somebody to greater depth, now flipping back our business hat on, if you can understand somebody to a greater, deeper depth, um, in fact, greater than maybe they understand themselves, um, then you're able to communicate in such a way that you're not wasting their time. You're communicating in a laser-like fashion um, where you're giving people the information they need to help them in their decision-making path. Joe, do you care to enhance on, on laser-like communication? 
Absolutely. So I always, I always help people work through sort of a three-part conversation. And the first one is asking some questions, like you said, to get them to open up. Then the second part is making sure that we really listen to whatever they say and then dig in on that and say, hey, that was really interesting what you said here. Can you help me understand that a bit more? Most of the time what I hear is we ask some questions and then they say something. Now we rush to solve and we say, and even if our information is just the best information, we've tested it, tested it, tested it, it doesn't resonate. By digging deeper, we're able to actually now help them frame the problem and the solution is something that we collaboratively create together. I had a uh, rep earlier this week that we were working on this and she decided that she was going to test some of this stuff out, you know, push herself out of the comfort zone and ask some more difficult questions in her calls. And she had a lady that wasn't returning her calls and finally got a hold of her and just said, you know, based on what's been going on, I'm assuming that maybe you're having a bit of a difficult time with this because you told me last time you're, you're a mom and, you know, this must be a big decision for you. Can you help me understand, you know, there's lots of information and she just opened up, started crying over the phone, saying, you know, I was really nervous. I didn't know what to say to you, and everybody's calling me, asking me to come to school, and I don't know what to say. And so she said, are you a mom too? And they had this whole connection on what it's like to be a mother and making decisions like this. And so just, you know, pushing herself out of that comfort zone to ask more difficult questions opened up a dialogue that she wouldn't have normally had. So, okay, so now, you know, we've got setting the agenda, Understanding a person to a great degree. Now, um, Tash or Ray, you're on the call here too. Um, and, you know, I, I guess just circling around, folks, Tash is, is, a, is similar to Jim and Joey's, has like 30 years' experience in enrollment management with some great schools. And um, I think what's interesting, Tash, is that um, to really go to that place of empathy and being there for other people is um, it requires discipline. It requires, it, it, you have to have part of a process. Uh, and this is a, really a process of sp- spreading empath- empathetic energy around. It requires discipline to do that because it's an other conscious kind of activity. And humans are self-centered. Do you, you want to expand on that? Sure. You know, um, I'm, I'm a big believer in having talking points, and I've seen many different phone scripts out there, and for the most part, they have a nice uh, logical flow to them. The thing is, our prospect on the other end of the phone always won't fit into that flow, and so you have these points of breakdown, especially right out of the gate when you're trying to engage them. You know, and it, like the, the most common opening question I see is, what program are you interested in? So we invite a no right out of the gate. Then if we are able to engage them and they are sharing um, information with us, um, is that information, it, are you hearing it? Are you feeding it back to them? And are you making it easy for them to expand on it? You know, and, um, you know, that, that, that natural progression of, information sharing is they're giving us information, we're hearing it, we're sharing information back with them, what we heard, and maybe adding to it, maybe punching a couple points, a couple of the um, features and benefits of your institution, and, and then following that up immediately with another question that just keeps it easy for them, easier for them to, to open up to you. So that's an interesting point. What you're really talking about is, is 
feeding back what you've heard is really um, the fourth step here, and that is all about sharing the learning where, you know, people have opened up and they've spilled their guts. They often don't even know what they've said in a way. They're just, there's an emotional uh, release of information that's been stuffed up in their head and, and it's kind of a torrent of, of stuff coming out. And as Joe said, it can often bring people to tears or different emotions. And, and so a good admissions rep in this process will then cons- consolidate and say, well, this is what I've, I've learned. Is that right? Tash, you can yeah. expand on sharing the learning. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is exactly right. So, you know, and it, it's simple things. You know, okay. So, what I heard you say is, you know, you're checking for understanding, or you might be relating a, a personal example, like like the example Joe gave earlier when he realized he was, you know, his his um, the person he was working with realized they were dealing with a similar other, you know, another single mother. So. Um, Anything that you can share from your own life experience that helps the the prospect see you, um, you know, as a similar other or as someone that has um, uh, a lot of uh, experience and wisdom in dealing with the same kinds of issues, um, you know, they're they're going to want to hear more. They're going to want to learn more. Uh, you're going to start to create a connection. You start to create some trust. Got it. So what's interesting from my perspective is that there's a, uh, a, every time that you circle back and communicate and reiterate what somebody is saying and they're in agreement, Joe, it's kind of like making, um, putting the business hat back on. It's kind of like making a little tiny micro sale. Every time you can create agreement with somebody on even a point of communication it it creates a positive bonding point. Uh, what do you think of that? Absolutely, and, and I, I know we've got sort of you know this this gets into this sort of realm of this is all feel good stuff. Um, let's get back to the business case of people always say, well, I don't have time to do this kind of stuff. What if I don't have time? The answer is you don't have time not to do this. If you're spending all your time chasing your customers because you didn't build relationships at first point of contact, you're going to lose just because of the numbers. The people that actually take action on this stuff, they're genuinely curious about the customer on the other end. They're finding those you know those rel- uh, those places that they can relate, like Tash is saying, that they're completely authentic on the phone uh, and they're setting their energy before that call, um, those are the ones that are winning the game. And you can feel that. When you call somebody, you can tell when they're on or when they're not. And so my, one, of, one of my metrics I always measure is how quickly can we be authentic? Uh, like as soon as we pick up the phone, are we ready to have that conversation or are we just picking it up as one more thing we've got to do? And the people on the other end can feel that. So if you don't feel like you have time to have these conversations, you're going to lose because it's going to be a lot of entropy in your process trying to chase people. Hmm. And then, of course, if you've done a great job of um, becoming world-class at um, asking empathetic, um, emotionally-based questions and creating connection, the sharing of the learning becomes really easy. And then as a byproduct, moving along with that little tiny baby step becomes a no-brainer. And as long as in, you're advancing things along, pushing the marble along, um, then you're, you're going to make progress. And so to that end, um, 
Jim, you you spoke about how to create that little contextual tiny advance in the admissions process. Quickly, um, can you just have a couple words on that? Yeah, you, you know, the, the, we keep talking about quality conversations, and it really it really comes down to that. You have a solid, insightful conversation. You have a little rapport that's been built up. They, you're starting your relationship um, with them, and there's some outcomes, right? Some of the outcomes can be the natural next step of, a, of an appointment, right, to come in with solid value to, for the visit and why they'd want to do that. Uh, there could be some referral opportunities. But there's also with this, and, and you probably hopefully do a lot of this, but um, to what degree, I'm not sure, which is to maintain and leave that door open for the next best thing besides uh, a visit, which is uh, another conversation. And, you know, uh, and, and, little, and the little process that you can use there is, is if they're not coming in for a visit, you negotiate a little 15-minute phone call and uh, so go. that you, you're not playing phone tag and hunting people down. Now, listen, I need, you guys, I need to be respectful of people's time here, and we are four minutes beyond what we promised. So, um, ladies and gents, what we're going to offer you um, on the call is, uh, if anybody's interested, is the first three people that text uh, in their information uh, will offer a complimentary mystery shop for your school. And um, this will be a first point of contact mystery shop. People seem to really find these interesting when we complete them for them. We've done well over 500 of these over the last 12 years. Um, so here's what you do is you text the following number, uh, 1250, Sierra area code, 391-9494. It's 250-391-9494. First three people uh, will fit you into our research schedule. We have a, a production schedule for that, and it'll be on us. Now, if uh, anybody has to leave, uh, this is the formal part of uh, our presentation. It's now over. Um, but we will hang around if anybody has any clarifying comments or questions they might ask. And um, Lauren, you might have one or two, um, or you can press star six on your phone, you guys, and that'll bring you into the conversation. So um, who has a question for uh, some of these admissions gurus? Nobody. Wow. I do have one from Erin Fitzgerald online. I'm not sure if Erin's still on the call. Okay. But she asked, what are your thoughts for schools that have internal call center? They touch base with prospective students prior to the campus admission advisors. So why don't you ah, asking specifically for feedback and how to direct them, perhaps? Tash, uh, why don't you uh, start with that uh, that call? So, that well, first of all, if somebody has that situation, I think the admissions reps are very fortunate because the the call center folks are the ones that are going to deal with a lot of that upfront rejection. So, in terms of your spirit of your troops, your spirit of your admissions reps, it's typically a little bit higher because they're not facing as much of that initial rejection. So if that question is how does the call center rep handle engaging with the prospect, that's different than how does the admissions rep handle the warm transfer. So I'm, I'm not sure which direction you want to go there, but 
Well, I'll, I'll take a crack. I'll take a crack at it. Then, um, what we found in our mystery shopping that you have to be really careful for, Aaron, to watch out for is a lot of these live transfers that happen with the internal call centers. People can be left on hold for you know two, three, four minutes, and it's brutal. And and prospective students drop the calls, and all these hard fought. Um, leads and prospects just drift away to a, a competitor. And so there has to be a real um, tight process management piece there around live transfers where if somebody's not picking up after 20 seconds, you have to loop back and uh, that that call center person has to pick up and deal with that call and set up, uh, as um, uh, Jim had pointed out, a uh, a phone call, a follow. Hey, Greg, can you hear me? I sure can. Is this Aaron? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, in our instance, and I in a, I think in a few other schools, our internal admission support center, our call center, they're actually setting the appointments. So they they don't even the only time they do a live transfer is if um, they they need to talk to someone at the campus. So they're actually setting the appointment for the admissions advisors. So they're, they're the upfront, you know, kind of sales team where they have the prospective student on the phone, they're listening to a few of their needs, and they're actually setting the appointment for the person to show up at the ground campus. And where's that breaking down? Well, I think for, for many of us, and what you've said before is just the contact rate for one thing, but is, you know, I, I kind of view it as the our admission support center really is kind of your front-end sales team. Yep. You know, they've got to be more kind of sales-focused, needs-focused, and not just appointment setters. Yes, yeah, so Joe, does, speaking yeah. to Erin's point, she's, she's hitting it dead on, and I, I think the front-end sales support team or the director of first impressions, um, I think the theme of our call is if these call centers can really deepen their skill set around asking intelligent, deep, juicy questions, Joe, that that could go a tremendously long way in cementing uh, what is really a tentative relationship that's kind of holding by a thread. That these guys are running with very little information, so you, you need to deepen and anchor that that relationship before that appointment is set. You care to speak to that, Joe? Totally. Yeah. The the two words um, when I'm when I'm working with the, on the training side is cross edification. This is one thing that will absolutely transform when you have appointment setters, and also throughout your organization. If you have people that deal with customers, um, so you have more than one customer facing person that is handing somebody over. Even when you have somebody that goes from an admissions rep to a director, or setting up appointments for somebody else, there's a there's a transfer of trust that needs to happen. So when you build a relationship on the phone and you're an appointment setter, what you should be doing is really celebrating the person that they're going to meet, not the process they're going to go through. So you would say, you know, if I'm setting up an appointment for Jim, I say, oh, this is great. You're going to love um, this program that you're looking at, and you've got some great questions. I'm going to set you up an appointment with Jim. He's awesome. He's got X amount of years' experience. Here's what he really is good at when he's working with students. You're going to love meeting with him. He's really funny. He's a super nice guy. And when you get together, here's the kinds of things you guys are going to go through. Now, through that process, I've transferred this relationship onto Jim, and they're excited to meet that person 
without that, if I just built a relationship with them, they want to talk to me. Now, if I'm saying, oh, this is great, we're having a good time, now you're going to go meet a stranger, that's a bit intimidating. And the other part of the piece is now when Jim gets that person to come in for the appointment, he's saying, wasn't it great talking to Joe? Didn't he really help you with that information? He's really good at these things. And they're going to see that not only are, is it valuable to talk to one person, but it's valuable to talk to everybody in the organization. It's going to be a reflection of your company as a whole. So when you start no, getting no. cross edification, it's huge. Now, jumping, stacking on to cross edification is to give your call center people the courage to be world class. And, and what world class, one example of world class would be to ask those um, outside the box, life oriented questions. So who comes in to, you know, talk about education and, and then all of a sudden this person in the call center says, hey, tell me a bit about your life. What are you doing right now? And I want to make sure that I, I get you in the, going in the right direction here and that we're not wasting your time. Um, I just need to ask you a few questions, and if you don't want to answer them, no problem. And then you get into that nurturing tone, and it's, Hey, what's keeping you up at night? Why are you frustrated? Why are you calling us? And these kinds of questions that people don't slot in with a call center, why not break that mold? And why not take this into a little five-minute gift that might help to change a person's life by just having the courage to ask these really interesting questions with somebody that they don't even know? I don't know if that... more questions for the team to go on. Can sure. A few more? Oh, but, but before you begin, Erin, um, mm-hmm. does that help yeah. a tiny bit? Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Okay, cool. Talk to you soon. So I know we've touched on this before, but what are you... Not in this call, uh, potentially extra from that, but what are our thoughts on leaving messages for prospects? I'll speak to that real quick and then ask the guys to jump in. Um, a phone message is a radio ad with an audience of one person. And if you have a, a radio ad, um, then, hey, the best practice of direct response is you can split-run test that radio ad. And so what reps don't do is they just kind of they don't have a disciplined testing process. So um, s- speaking to what Tash said earlier is you have a talking point, you leave a message, you calculate how many people are responding, and then that becomes what's called your control. And then the game is to beat the control. And after six or seven renditions of uh, trial and error, of trying different um, phone messages, you should be able to improve the number of people that you talk to by uh, 3 to 5%. Now you say, oh, that's not much, Greg, but let's think this through. If somebody's making 30 outbound phone calls a day, attempts, that is 660 a month. That, and if we can get that person to talk to 5% more people they we're not otherwise talking to, that's um, an extra uh, 33 phone conversations that they otherwise would not have. And conservatively, if that conser- converts to 10%, that's an extra three students a month. That's 36 students a year. That's seven, eight. $900,000 a year on a certificate program by simply split testing the phone message. Wow. Tash, do you want to 
add on to my math, or do you want to speak to that? <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think that the message depends on the type of lead and the age of the lead, and some and and I am for leaving messages, and um, you know, 25 years ago, I wasn't so pro leaving messages, but there wasn't nearly the amount of outreach to that prospective student that there is today. So it, it, the the fresher that lead just reconnect them with, hey, you, you had done some research on the Internet and filled out a contact form. What's not perfect in your life yet? I'm, I'm calling to provide you with information. You know, um, here's my name. Here's my number. Please give me a call. Something fairly simple like that. When it's an older lead and you're reworking leads, that's a very but, different But, Tash, if I can jump in, um, it, does, it doesn't matter. Um, I, I would challenge and just say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the message is. What matters is the protocol of split testing until you get to yeah. best practice. Oh, I so, agree with that. So what, that might work, or maybe it doesn't. But really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's the process mm -hmm. of split testing to get there. It's, well, and then I think if you're calling a, um, a, a lead that has some age to it, you have to re-engage the student with why they initially reached out mm -hmm. and, and completed that contact information to begin with. Something's mm -hmm. not right in their life. And if you're calling them and it's, it's you know, two weeks, three weeks later, or it's two months, three months later, that's a different message than if somebody called in and it's only an hour later. Yes. There's this guy, Jim Jeffries, with Trios uh, College. It's a chain of schools in Ontario. Really good, high-quality school. And um, he, and we, he, we were running these, all these folks through split testing exercises. And he, we were on a group call, and he had gotten to the point of uh, where he said, well, this, when somebody doesn't show up for an appointment, this is what I do. And he leaves the message and goes, this is Jim from Trios. You didn't show up for your appointment. Hey, when you get serious about your life, give me a call. Click. And all of his peers were all going, that is so rude, blah, blah, blah. How could you do that? And then finally, after he got beaten up, um, one gal said, well, what's your conversion on that? And he said, it's 86%. So... 86% of the people he left that message with came just groveling back for the meeting, begging to have Jim take them through their process, and he converted a good, healthy percentage. Now, I'm not advocating that that is the, the comment you use, but that's what he landed on through his split testing. And um, interesting. Uh, Lauren, another question? Yeah, I've got another question. This is from Jenny. She's saying that about the fact that we said high volumes aren't necessarily the most important, but her school tries to reach out to get as many people as they can, and she's wondering if we're saying that we should cut down on the number of calls and have more conversations, because a lot of people just have one question, and they just want that answered, and at what point do they keep trying to call back that person? There's a couple different questions in there. So the when you get someone on the phone and you um, they just want to ask one question, then your first sale is to negotiate the agenda. The first sale is to sell them on the fact that there should be some other questions they should ask and that you should be allowed to ask some questions of them. That's your first little tiny baby sale. Joe, do you want to talk about the little tiny baby sale? 
Yeah, I mean, essentially, if we go back to what we're saying is that customers are really, you know, they're, they're more informed than ever. But if we also know that they're not prepared uh, at, a, at a rate of like 90, 95%, then if we just answer that question and let them go on their way, we're actually not giving them a service. We might as well just outsource this thing. The power of admissions is to be able to, to like we said, is to start to diagnose but seek to understand. So even just uh, something as simple as saying, let me look that up for you, just to stall a little bit so that we can actually ask them another question. So how long have you been thinking about doing this? Or what makes you interested in that? What research have you done before? Something that gets them to share a little bit of info because 99% of the calls, they don't just have one question. They need help navigating this information. If we just answer that call, we're not actually giving them a good service. And if you don't give them good service, then you, you're ripping them off. It's like uh, imagine well into the future, you could only get your water through water stores. And, uh, and you had enough, uh, and somebody came in and they were to get their one glass of water a day. Now, does that water salesman just take that money for that one glass, knowing that that person needs six or seven glasses of water a day? Or does that water salesman make uh, an extra effort to do what's right for that person? Lauren, any other questions? I do. I have one from Henry asking if our team feels there would be a day where a face-to-face interview will no longer exist. Mm. Well, uh, Tash, I guess really uh, online I, education. I didn't, I didn't, I'm, what, what was the question? Go ahead, Lauren. Sorry, it was just asking if our team thought there would be a day when the face-to-face interview will no longer exist. I can jump I in for a second if you want me to. This is Jim. I mean, we've, there's been a, a few campuses that have uh, already gone down the, uh, the virtual tour, or uh, ones that they've had quality conversations, but they have not been able to get them down to the campus, and there's been some legitimate reasons for them not to visit this week or two in the next two weeks. And, and is it appropriate to actually do have a conversation or a virtual interview um, touring with the computer and um, be able to go a little farther virtually. And, and so that's been, you know, again, it's a small percentage and it's, it needs to be used wisely, but there are campuses and I was part of them where they did financial aid over uh, from the person who was at home and done uh, the interview uh, virtually. But again, it's, it's, we're not there yet and from a, from a, from this is a, the mainstream, but is there is is there an opportunity for something along those lines? Absolutely. And again, you can't lose something you don't have. I mean, if they're not coming to your campus, they're saying all the right things, and we keep holding them back to you know. We'll talk about that when you come down. Um, it's not moving along. No, the whole idea of holding back information is is a dead horse. The um, but we have our virtual advisor software, which is a lead qualification software that's working tremendously well in advancing people's interests remotely without connecting with people. But I think to answer Henry's question, um, education is a large ticket intangible. It's a, that's where you would classify it in, in a, like as a marketing matrix when you're looking at this from a marketing perspective. And, and large ticket intangibles even now, need a, uh, what we call a, a synchronous exchange. Synchronous, where you're across from somebody via the phone or in person, 
asynchronous is where you're having a disjointed exchange, whether it be text messaging or email or what have you, or written word. And the you want to ideally be face to face because of the tools, the communication tools that you have at your in your quiver. Um, the, the written word is really just a five, six, seven percent of the total arsenal you have in terms of communicating effectively. And when you get someone on the phone, the total quality is a big jump. It takes it up like 35, 38% when you add in the voice, the total quality uh, that comes with the voice. But when you get in front of somebody, right, and your your hands are flying around because you're excited and you're the tone of your face flushes because you're enthused. It's all unconscious stuff. But um, for the, the admissions reps truly believes in what they do. It all oozes out in um, kinesthetic cueing. And and that is what really people, um, that's what, where people learn is from the how they look, how people look at you, how they're, their hands fly around because they're all excited, how they shift in their seat, their skin tone, um, how they fidget, um, eye contact, all those little things that we've been trained as humans to learn about our entire life get um, synthesized into that one exchange. Joe, you want to jump on that? Yeah, and then I um, I have to jump on a, a call here in about two minutes. So th- what, it, what it is, I mean... People are still calling. They need to get information. They want some help, and they want to have meaningful conversations. And uh, we, we work with some schools that are strictly online, so there isn't even an option um, to get face-to-face. And what we're seeing more, I think, with the question is a lot of people saying, well, I just want to get the information over the phone because everybody today thinks that they're really, really busy. So what we have to do, no matter whether it's on the phone or face-to-face, we have to sell the value of having a deeper conversation. If we don't sell that value to say, hey, you know what, whether it's on the phone, face-to-face, on Skype or whether we email each other or do carrier pigeons, it doesn't matter that we are saying, hey, the next step is we're going to be doing these series of things and we can either do it on the phone or face-to-face. So there could be a day where we see more phone appointments, but we have to make sure that, that people do buy typically in stages, that we don't try and do it all in one shot, that like Greg said, set the agenda uh, and help them move to a more meaningful conversation. And if you're just measuring from leads to conversions overall, you're missing a really important piece like uh, Jim said that is the metric of how many meaningful dialogues that you have with uh, with your leads that are coming in. That's a perfect segue. Um, I think it's time to say goodbye. I know there are other questions, and but we we have um, a, other folks have to disperse here. If anybody has um, any other specific questions that they want answered, we'll be happy to do that in person. All you have to do is text two five zero. Three nine one nine four nine four two five zero three nine one nine four nine four and Paul Berdarelli, our liaison officer for the company, will button down some time, and one of us, one of the four of us, can help you out. So, for those that are still left on the call, I just wanted to thank you for hanging in, and hope we've uh, given you guys a lift and shared some information. And thank you again to Joe and uh, to Jim Paris and to Tash Ure uh, for jumping on and sharing your your opinions and we'll do this again soon everybody all the best you're welcome good luck everybody everyone